Hello and welcome to the Master of Demon Gorge podcast. Today we're talking about Wu Zixi, the tragic hero. I've wanted to tell you for some time now the story of Wu Zixi. It's a funny thing. Growing up, we were taught about Wu Zixi as a commendable personality from Chinese history. A role model of sorts, even. But when I revisited his story recently, it struck me that no one, absolutely no one, should take this man as a role model. He was heroic in some ways, and he possessed certain qualities worth emulating. But ultimately, he was like the hero of a Greek tragedy. Actually, once the thought occurred to me, I couldn't stop thinking about how well he fit the shape of a Greek tragic hero, someone like King Oedipus, an otherwise commendable and heroic person, impelled by understandable motives, who is nonetheless brought down by some terrible flaw in his character. So I've wanted to tell his story for some time. But the tragedy of Wu Zixu is also very complicated. More to the point, his story intersects with the stories of a number of other personalities from Chinese history of first-rank importance, who deserve to be the protagonists of their own episodes. And to varying extents, some of them also trace the character arcs of Greek tragic heroes. In fact, I previously began doing a sort of series on the five hegemons of spring and autumn, and two of the monarchs in the running to be on the list of the five hegemons, two whom we have yet to talk about, feature prominently in his story. So, what I'll do is this: I'm going to divide the tragedy of Wu Zixu into two parts. This way, at least, I'll have time to give proper attention. To the other major characters who will appear, and in part two, maybe we'll even shift the focus to some of the other characters, even as we wrap up the conclusion to the story of Wu Zixu. Okay, so who was Wu Zixu? Wu Zixu was born in 559 BC into an aristocratic family in the kingdom of Chu. Again, to refresh your memory, in the Spring and Autumn era, which technically was the second half of the Zhou Dynasty, a Zhou king remained nominally in charge, sitting in central China, but the various domains under their dukes functioned independently from the center, and frequently fought each other. In the south, the state of Chu, centered on today's province of Hubei, was culturally. Not entirely Chinese, and the Chu called its leader not a duke but a king, equal to the Zhou king. Two other states also existed in what was then considered southern China, now more like central eastern China, the state of Wu, centered on today's province of Jiangsu, and the state of Yue, centered on today's Zhejiang. The Wu and the Yue were also Culturally distinct from the central Chinese states, and were for that reason considered somewhat barbarian.
genetically, the people of Wu and Yu might be relatives of modern-day populations in Southeast Asia, and even possibly indigenous tribes in Taiwan. But for present purposes, we don't need to get into that, except to note that the Wu and the Yu also called their leaders kings. Okay, so Wu Zixu was from the state of Chu. His family had served as officials in the kingdom of Chu for several generations. But a series of political upheavals roiled the Chu in the second half of the 6th century BC. In 541 BC, King Ling of Chu rose to the throne by murdering his predecessor and scattering the other princes. In 528, his little brother rallied the other princes and killed King Ling. Then he tricked his older brothers into committing suicide, thereby becoming King Ping of Chu. At this time, King Ping appointed Wu Zixu's father, Wu Shi, as teacher to the crown prince, his son, Prince Jian. But then a courtier named Fei Wu Ji falsely accused Prince Jian of plotting against his father. The prince ran for his life, and King Ping imprisoned the prince's teacher, Wu Zixu's father, Wu Shi, for somehow failing to teach the boy properly, or for possibly being in on the conspiracy. The king was going to kill Wu Shi regardless. But at Fei Wu Ji's urging, the king also ordered Wu Shi's two sons to come into the palace so that he could kill father and sons together, ensuring that there would be no one left to seek revenge. Wu Zixu and his older brother Wu Shang received the message. They knew that if they went to the palace, they would be killed. Wu Zixu said they must not go. Instead, they must run and wait for a chance to avenge their father. But Wu Shang said he couldn't do it, couldn't leave his father to die alone. So he went into the palace, and King Ping killed Wu Zixu's father and brother together. Wu Zixu ran for his life while swearing revenge. It was like that bit in the film Gladiator. You know the bit. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. This was in 522 BC. The king's soldiers pursued him as Wu Zixu ran. First, he wanted to run to the state of Wu to the east. But then he realized how many true soldiers were searching for him in that direction. So he tried to go to the state of Song, where Prince Jian was. But then the state of Song was in political turmoil as well, so the two of them went to the state of Zheng together. But then Prince Jian got himself tangled up in Zheng politics and was killed, leaving a young son. So Wu Zixu took the boy 
and once again tried to run for the kingdom of Wu, having to resort to begging on the way in order to survive. And the two soldiers were still looking for him. In this, Wu Zixu's physique worked against him. He was said to be a strikingly big and tall guy, a kind of ancient Chinese Jack Reacher. So, true officers could spot him from a mile away. When he reached the pass that led from the Chu into the Wu, he saw that the gates were crawling with soldiers, so there was no way he could get through. He found a room somewhere and spent the night desperately trying to figure out what to do. Legend has it that when he looked in the mirror in the morning, he found that his anxiety had led his hair and beard to turn snow white overnight. And so he was able to get through the pass, despite his striking physique. The soldiers were looking for a man in the prime of his life, not one with white hair. After he got through the pass, he found himself facing a river. A lone fisherman steered a boat, which he hurriedly waved down. The boatman figured out who he was, but nonetheless ferried him across. Wu Zixu was incredibly grateful and wished to do something for the boatman, but the boatman declined. As he walked away, though, Wu Zixu made the mistake of turning back one more time to say to the boatman, Please don't tell anyone that you saw me. The boatman, or so legend has it, replied with a long sigh, Well, if you think I have so little honor that I would betray you for a monetary reward, then the only way for me to prove to you that I'd never talk is to kill myself. At that, the boatman jumped into the river and drowned. After he reached the kingdom of Wu, Wu Zixu came to the attention of the ruling elite there, being the scion of a long-standing aristocratic family of the Chu. At this time, the king of Wu was King Liao. But another prince, Prince Guang, felt he deserved to be king. The exact family relationship between King Liao and King Guang isn't entirely clear, as different sources tell us different things, so it's a little bit hard to say who had the more legitimate claim here. But in any event, they were both members of the royal family. So, King Liao heard that Wu Zixu had come to his kingdom and wanted to give him a job. But Prince Guang manipulated him into neglecting Wu Zixu so that he could hire him for himself. And he asked Wu Zixu, how can I pull off a coup and take over as king? In a way, this was the beginning of Wu Zixu's moral compromises on his way to becoming a tragic hero. Morally, he might not have supported the idea of a coup. But he wanted to avenge his father and brother. And his deal with Prince Guang was that if the prince succeeded in taking over the kingdom of Wu, then he would make war on the state of Chu to help Wu Zixu avenge his family. So Wu Zixu found an assassin suited 
to the task of murdering King Liao. And the man proceeded to do exactly that. So Prince Guang became King He Lü of Wu. Although he wasn't quite done with the murdering, King Liao had a son who had gotten away. So Wu Zixu got another assassin to go after this prince, killing him as well. As you can tell by the way he came to power, King He Lü was not necessarily the nicest man. Another time he showed what a nasty character he really was, was when one of his daughters died. He organized a lavish funeral and had her buried in this enormous tomb. The citizens of Wu were invited to tour the Grand Mausoleum, and thousands of them showed up. Except the mausoleum was a trap. At a sign, the heavy stone doors fell, trapping the civilians inside. This was King He Lü's plan all along, to bury thousands of his own citizens alive to keep his dead daughter company. And yet, according to some, he ranks as one of the five hegemons of spring and autumn. He gained that reputation largely because of Wu Zixu. After King He Lü consolidated power, Wu Zixu urged him to keep his promise and attack the state of Chu. But he also helped King He Lü strengthen his kingdom to the point where it was strong enough to defeat the Chu. In this, he worked with another exile from the Chu who also came to serve the Wu, a man named Bo Pi. Wu Zixu was forewarned at this time that Bo Pi was ultimately not a trustworthy man. But at this time, his sentimental attachment to a fellow exile made him look upon Bo Pi with rose-tinted glasses, with consequences later. At this time, Wu Zixu also introduced King He Lü and to the annals of Chinese history and therefore eventually the whole world, a military strategist named Sun Wu. This man, Sun Wu, was originally from the state of Qi in the northeast, but had moved to the kingdom of Wu, where he lived in seclusion and then wrote a book about war that Wu Zixu regarded very highly. That book, centuries later, would be translated into English as The Art of War and its author, Sun Wu, would come to be better known as Sun Zi. There was a famous episode from this time when King He Lü doubted Sun Zi's abilities, as he was, until this point, only a military theorist. So Sun Zi offered to show what he could do by training an army of women, King He Lü ordered his concubines and palace girls to come out and put on military uniforms. But the young women didn't take the exercise seriously. They thought it was all a game and were laughing and joking with each other. Sun Zi had two of King He Lü's favorite concubines executed on the spot for poor discipline. The women, terrified, now formed perfect ranks and performed their military exercises 
perfectly. King He Liu was shocked that Sun Tzu killed two of his favorite bedfellows, and he was kind of angry at him. But Wu Zixu convinced him that losing a couple of concubines was a small matter, while gaining a great general was of national importance. We should perhaps acknowledge here that there is some controversy over whether Sun Tzu was ever a real person. Some scholars have argued that actually Wu Zixu was the author of the art of war, and Sun Tzu was just a persona he adopted, a pen name. But for the purposes of our story, we'll take Sun Tzu as a real historical personality. In 506 BC, the kingdom of Wu was finally ready to take on the kingdom of Chu. Two small domains that had been under the sway of the Chu turned against their overlord and helped the Wu. And fighting five battles against the Chu, the Wu army under Wu Zixu and Sun Tzu won all five, inflicting a catastrophic defeat on the Chu. Until then, invariably one of the most powerful states of spring and autumn. The Wu army charged into the Chu capital, the city of Ying. Meanwhile, however, King Ping of Chu, the man who killed Wu Zixu's father and brother, had actually died. So now his son, King Zhao of Chu, was on the throne. Feeling his thirst for vengeance unsatisfied, because his true enemy had died years ago of natural causes. Wu Zixu now went after King Zhao, but King Zhao managed to get away from Ying City. Now King He Liu went into the palace and raped every one of King Zhao's wives and concubines. He even wanted to rape King Zhao's mother, after hearing that the Queen Mother was not yet old and basically. Still hot, but the Queen Mother managed to shame him into not doing so. At least that's what happened, according to Lianu Zhuan, the biographies of the various ladies written during the Han Dynasty. Wu Zixu, Sun Tzu, and Bo Pi might have similarly unleashed a wave of sexual violence against the female family members of the ministers and courtiers of the Chu. Who had fled with their king? In modern times, we would certainly consider this a war crime, and it wasn't exactly considered glorious even back then. In fact, the sexual violence led to the populace of the Chu to resent their invaders even more so than they already did. Wu Zixu was also said to have gone looking for the tomb of King Ping. His real enemy. The story goes that King Ping of Chu, knowing how many enemies he had in life, constructed his own tomb at the bottom of a lake so that it would be hard to find. But Wu Zixu found an old man who had been one of the workers who built the tomb, and he told Wu Zixu where it was. So Wu Zixu had swimmers go down and retrieve. 
King Ping's body, which had been mummified with mercury and was preserved. And Wu Zixu took a whip and whipped the corpse again and again and again for hundreds of times, tearing up the flesh until it was destroyed. Here again, I'll note that there is some debate as to whether or not this really happened. In Chinese tradition, destroying your enemy's tomb and his ancestors' tombs was considered an extremely cruel and vengeful thing to do. And Wu Zixu certainly was seeking vengeance. In fact, it seemed like no amount of violence done against his enemies would assuage the pain in his soul. But some scholars say there was no established custom at the time of wanting to whip the corpse of your dead enemy. Regardless, Wu Zixu had just about destroyed the country of his birth in an effort to avenge the deaths of his father and brother. The only thing left that he could do was to track down King Zhao and kill him, which would actually bring an end to the state of Chu. At one point, he suspected that King Zhao had escaped to the state of Zheng, so he marched on Zheng. The Duke of Zheng was terrified and cast about for someone, anyone, who could come up with a way to beat back Wu Zixu. At this point, the story goes, one of the refugees who had come in from Chu volunteered his service. This man turned out to be the son of the fisherman who, all those years ago, had ferried Wu Zixu across the river and then committed suicide. The fisherman's son went out and asked Wu Zixu to turn back. Recalling what the fisherman had done for him, Wu Zixu ordered his army to retreat. But he still kept looking for King Zhao. King Zhao's people, though, at this time, managed to get to the state of Qing in the west and to persuade the Qing to intervene. So a Qing army was now marching toward them. And Sun Zi convinced Wu Zixu and King He Lu that now was the time to go home and enjoy the spoils of their victory. Okay, we'll end part one there with Wu Zixu at the height of his triumph, having achieved all the vengeance that was possible, only to realize that no amount of revenge, no amount of bloodshed, would ever make him happy. In the next episode, although we'll end up focusing on another protagonist, you'll find out how the story of Wu Zixu reaches its final tragic denouement. This has been MODG. Thank you for listening.